This is the Build Wealth Canada podcast, session number five. Welcome to the Build Wealth Canada podcast, where it's all about becoming debt-free, accelerating your wealth, and taking control of your money. Now, here's your host, Cornell Schreiber. Hey, it's Cornell here, and welcome to session five of the Build Wealth Canada podcast. Now, the last few episodes, have, as you've probably noticed, have been pretty heavy as far as real estate-focused goes. I mean, basically, we've been focusing a lot on buying a home, whether you should buy a home or not in the first place. And last episode, we talked about the initial costs that you have to be ready for when you decide to purchase a home. So really, uh, what I've been doing here is really creating a mini-series when it comes to purchasing a home. And so this is going to be the last episode for now uh, as far as our mini-series on on home buying goes. So we're basically going to switch gears after this episode and talk about some of the other areas of personal finance. And actually, I just recently finished our very first expert interview. And so our next episode is actually going to be uh, with an expert uh, about the subject of earning money on the side with freelancing. If it's uh, something that you've always uh, maybe been, been curious about or something you haven't considered, it's something that you can basically start doing uh, pretty quickly uh, without having to you know spend much time building a product, let's say, you know testing it, trying to sell it. Uh, it's something that many people can actually do and don't realize they can do uh, to start earning some extra money on the side, whether you use it to pay off your debt or use it to, let's say, fund your vacations or, or your shopping or whatever the case may be. Uh, so that's going to be uh, what's coming up. And then we'll have more expert interviews after that as well. Also, in other news, I actually do have a free gift for you that I just finished making. It's a guide on the top five personal finance and productivity tools. And the guide is completely free. And actually, the tools that I recommend in the guide are free to use as well. And really, they're just fantastic. They're tools that I've been using for quite a while now. And they really cover a whole range of personal finance subjects. So for example, one of them helps automatically create budgets for me so I don't have to spend a long time doing them by hand every month. Or, or entering receipts. Uh, another one is actually just books that I've read that have helped me get started in investing, which I highly recommend as well, as well as the tool that I use right now to invest. Also, it includes really the best financial, a source for the best financial calculators that I've been able to find to date, as well as some productivity tools that I use, both to help keep track of my personal finances, make sure nothing slips through the cracks, but also tools that you can use just for your own personal life, just to make sure that you don't forget things, that you stay on top of everything. And basically, they help you get more productive as well. So that full guide you can get for free from the Build Wealth Canada website. Just go to buildwealthcanada.ca and basically you can sign up and, and, and I'll basically email you this guide and you can check it out and, and let me know what you think. Uh, it, it turned out really, really well. I've been getting some really good feedback from it. And I thought, you know, why not? Why not share some of the tools that I've used that, that have helped me be productive and help me ensure that I have good control of my personal finances. So hope you enjoy that. All right, so I look forward to seeing you there. Now, going back to this podcast, what we're going to do now is really finish off this mini-series on buying a home, and we're going to cover all of the ongoing costs that you should be ready for once you become a homeowner. Now, obviously, this is a pretty critical thing. 
it basically the the cost that you're going to have to incur the the cash outflow that you're going to be incurring every month from just keeping a home is going to hit your budget pretty hard it's it's actually likely to be really your number one expense when you factor in you know your mortgage payments your maintenance and some of the other costs that we're going to cover it's going to probably hit you uh, more than just about anything else and so it's really something that's pretty critical to be knowledgeable about and to have a really good handle on because if you mess this up it can basically break you financially and really negatively impact your your lifestyle i mean just just imagine you move into a house and all of a sudden you have all these extra payments that you weren't ready for that you haven't budgeted for for example maybe you bought a house that's too large and your mortgage payments are just eating up too much of a chunk of your uh, income every single month and so now you you know if that happens to you you could be essentially st- stuck in a house you have no money left over at the end of the month to let's say maybe pay off your student debt or pay off your credit card debt if you have some or, or really pay off any sort of other debt that you have you aren't going to be able to become mortgage free quicker because you're spending all your money just just being able to service those minimum payments on the home so that you know that's a pretty big deal and of course you know there's other things too you would have money for like recreation or taking vacations or anything like that so you know the last kind of scenario that you want to be in is to to be living in in a home and really have no money or very little money left over at the end of every month. And so that's why this episode is really quite critical because it will make sure that you have evaluated and that you're fully aware of all the different expenses that you're going to be able to incur monthly and so that you are able to pick the right size house for your needs and that you don't sort of get caught up in all the hype or get emotional and buy a house that turns out uh, you know, a year later that you're basically start financially, you're you know, you're going to have the mortgage for the rest of your life and that you don't really, you know, you're not going to be able to put any money away or pay off your debt because you are paying off that house um, and it's taking up basically all your income to do so. All right. So with that said, let's jump into the ongoing costs that you're going to have to pay once you have the home. So obviously the, the big one, the no brainer is the mortgage, right? I mean, unless you're you're mortgage free, you're pretty much going to have to pay a mortgage. Now, currently the rates are at historical lows. I'm sure you've, you've heard this already and that they are likely to go up in the future. Okay. So you do want to make sure that you are ready for a rate increase with interest rates going up. If you have a variable rate mortgage, are you going to be able to pay for those mortgage payments? Okay. So one conservative test that I found and like quite a bit is basically to ask yourself, what if the interest rate, the current interest rate that I'm paying right now, what if it doubled? What what happens then? If it doubled, would I still be able to do my mortgage payments. And now if you have a variable rate mortgage, then that's obviously something you you really want to make sure that you uh, you understand and that you know you are ready for if that does happen. If you have a fixed rate mortgage though, you, you should still think about this, right? Because if you have a fixed rate mortgage, well, eventually the term on that mortgage is going to expire. You're going to have to renew your mortgage. And if let's say you you know you just bought a house now, fi- let's say you lock in for five uh, you lock in for five years. Well, five years later it's time to renew. Well, what if the rates now are double than what they were before? Right? It, it's possible. So what happens then if your mortgage isn't paid off? Well, now you have to renew your mortgage, and you have to renew that mortgage at this hi- this higher rate that is now in the marketplace. And so you do want to make sure that you are ready for that, right? And really, it, you know, so if you're buying a house, that's that's a reasonable. Size, that's a reasonable price, right? You, sh- you should be able. 
able to uh, survive that if, if the rates did go up so much, right? If, if you're really just pushing yourself to the max and buying the most expensive house you can afford and just really trying to, you know, li- live it up and, and, and doing it that way. And if the rates double, well, now all of a sudden you can't pay your mortgage. You're, you're now forced to sell your house, let's say, because you just can't make the mortgage payments or you have to try to, you know, start thinking of creative ways and, and go, you know, go through all these sort of negative experiences to try to get them, uh, you know, get the money necessary just to pay your bills every month. Uh, I mean, that's that's not a position that you really want to be in, right? It shouldn't. You don't want to live your life in stress, worrying about how the interest rates are, are what they're going to be doing in the future, right? So, so me personally, I sleep well at night, knowing that even if my rates, if the rates double, that you know will be fine. Well, you know, first of all, you know, if you're mortgage free, you don't even care because you don't have a mortgage, right? But but I do remember that once having a mortgage, when you do have that and you know that if the rates double, you'll be okay. I know that that personally, that helped me sleep at night pretty well, right? I didn't have to really worry about that. Now, one interesting thing too is when you're getting the mortgage and, and the thing too is, I mean, with when it comes to mortgages, that can be an entire podcast episode all on its own. It could even you know be an entire book on its own. It's, it's there, there, you know, there's there's a lot to it. There's a lot of different things you can do and, and a lot of things to to understand. But really, uh, one of the things that I, I do want to mention is that uh, your amortization period is basically how long the loan is spread for. And so let's say if you if you amortize the loan over, 35 years, then if you do something like that, your payments every month are going to be lower than if you amortize by 25, okay? So you're basically just spreading that loan over a longer amount. So your monthly rate is going to go down. You you are going to be paying less money every month, but you'll be paying that lower amount for a longer period of time. And so if you're paying it for a longer period of time, then that means you're also paying interest, right? A lot more than if you had a shorter amortization period, right? So it's kind of like saying, well, if you have a longer loan, we have you know, we spread out over longer amount. We have lower payments. That's great. But over the life of the loan, we're going to be paying a lot more than if we pad a shorter loan. So, I mean, that's one way that you can pretty quickly change what your or drastically change what your monthly payments are. All right, so that's just something you should consider when you're thinking, you know, if you're using these online calculators and you're playing with the amortization, that is something that you do want to modify. It is something you want to play with to see what are my payments going to be depending on these different amortizations that the bank can offer. Now, the other big tip of advice that I do have is, for goodness sakes, shop around for the best possible rate and the best terms, okay? Now, this sounds obvious, but don't just walk into your bank and ask for a mortgage and go with that, okay? Don't just say, well, I already bank with this bank. It makes sense to get a mortgage there. All mortgages are the same anyway. Whatever, let's just go and get a mortgage at this bank because I already have my account set up there. It's just, it just seems a lot easier. Let's just go do that, okay? That's, that's the worst thing that you can actually do. In fact, if you just walk by a bank in general, oftentimes you'll see in their windows the different different posters saying that you know they have this and this mortgage rate and that this is their current mortgage rate and what you're paying for. You never actually pay that amount. You don't ever actually have to pay that amount. That amount is high. Okay, so that's that amount is more so that if you're just a person walking up the street down the street and you go in and you say I want a mortgage and just give me a mortgage that you know that's the rate that they will give you. Now, if you actually do your research 
research and you find out that actually this mortgage industry is pretty competitive and there are many other banks offering a much lower rate, you can get that rate down significantly, okay? So you definitely do want to get do quite a bit of research uh, just to make sure that you are getting the best rate, right? And it's also, it's not just about the rate, but it's also about the term. So for example, what are your prepayment privileges so that you can pay down your mortgage quicker? You know, what are the different uh, sort of penalties if I choose to switch mortgages? Can I move my mortgage over to a new house if I end up buying a new house, which is called porting the mortgage? So, you know, so there's, there's different terms and different things that you do also want to consider. And like I said, you know, this is a pretty big subject on its own. So, I mean, I don't want this podcast to go on for three hours, me talking about the cost plus all the different details of a mortgage. So, like I said, if you do have any specific mortgage questions, definitely let me know, ask me, uh, go to the show notes um, or, you know, send me an email or, or comment or, or anything at all. Just just let me know through another ways and, uh, and I'll be happy to help you. Okay, but in terms of the mortgage itself, you definitely do want to find out exactly when your first payment is going to be once you purchase the house because you do want to make sure that you actually do have enough money for the first payment when that time comes around. Okay, that's very, very important because you just spent you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars buying a house. Well, here comes your first mortgage payment, right? When is it going to be? You want to know exactly that. So you ask your bank or, your ma- or you ask your mortgage advisor or you ask your mortgage broker and you figure that out. All right, another big ongoing cost is, of course, the property taxes, okay? So this is something that the agent that is selling the property that you want to buy can tell you, okay? So uh, property taxes, you will generally get a pretty good feel for if you're looking for a particular area and you ask each agent, well, what is the property tax for this particular house? You will get a really good uh, idea as to what property taxes generally are in that particular area. And this is something that they should be able to provide you with no problem. It's not some sort of hidden cost that's hard for them to, to, to find, okay? An agent selling a property should be able to tell you the property tax very, very easily. But just to give you a, sort of a ballpark, I mean, in our particular case, the property tax we pay is a bit over $3,000. My parents, for example, live in a much larger house. They're paying like over 4000 if I'm not mistaken. So I, I don't know the exact amount, but as you can see, the where you are and what kind of house you have and, and that kind of thing, it can, it can all be, uh, it, it can change quite a bit. So you definitely, it is something that you do want to figure out. All right, another ongoing cost you do want to consider, of course, is home insurance. Now, if you are, a renter right now, then you probably have renter's insurance. And keep in mind that your renter's insurance will likely be significantly lower than what you would be paying if you had home insurance. So just to give you an actual real life example, we used to live in Halifax. And when we were living in Halifax, we were actually renting. And so for that particular apartment, we have really, really good credit rating. So for us, we were able to get a really low rate of $9 per month, okay, for basically rental insurance to cover everything that is in our home or in our apartment rather. Now, in, right now where we live, for example, it's a $311,000 uh, house. This was what we bought it for. And right now we're paying $58 a month, okay? So, you know, $9 a month when you live in an apartment, $58 now that we are living in a house. Okay, now obviously that amount varies depending on your deductible. It varies depending on what you have and what you want included as part of your coverage. It also, of course, is affected by your history. If you've been making a lot of insurance claims, they're probably going to give you a much higher rate. And also, it matters if, if you have the insurance company insure your other things, right? So in our case, we have uh, the car insured with them as well. And, you know, we have the rental property insured with them as well. So you know, we're getting a lower rate because of all these different uh, other 
basically all this other insurance that we are ha- that we have with the company, right? But this is something that you just do want to consider. So uh, definitely budget, I would say, at least $60 a month for home insurance for your house. And you can very um, quickly probably get a quote as well if you call your insurance company just to get a ballpark figure. All right. Now, the other thing you do want to consider as far as home insurance goes is that there is the regular home insurance, but you might want extra coverage on certain things that aren't uh, part of your general home insurance policy. And so just to give you an example, for instance, my uh, when I, my wife and I got engaged, I insured the the ring that I got her, the, the engagement ring. I remember uh, I ended up proposing in Europe and I obviously wanted to have the ring insured uh, in case something happened on our trip to Europe and you know, a, lot of, <laughs> a lot of things could, could go wrong, right? So I want to make sure that was fully covered. But then, you know, once we were back uh, in Canada, I, I wanted to keep the coverage because the, the amount was the amount of what the ring was worth was basically more than what was covered under our home insurance policy as far as jewelry goes, okay? So uh, because I I wanted that covered, all right? So that's just an example, right? There are certain things that your your general home insurance policy might not cover. And so therefore, it is something that you do want to ask about when you're calling the insurance company, find out what is actually covered, make sure that you're, you're okay if something goes wrong. Okay. Now, the next thing that you do want to factor in are your utilities payments. Okay. Now, when you're if you're renting right now, then maybe these were already included. And obviously, when it comes to utilities, it's going to vary by house size, right? I mean, if you live in a mansion, obviously your heating and electrical costs are going to be a lot higher than if you live in a small, you know, one bedroom apartment and have to pay for utilities. Okay, so so you know, keep keep that in mind that it does vary quite a bit. It varies depending on how uh, how efficient your house is as well at let's say maintaining the heat, for example. All right, but just to give you an idea, for example, in our current house, uh, we basically have, ours is, I think, about 12, 1,300 square feet, something like that. Um, we pay about $120 a month on average for water and gas. Now, during the winter, it's more than that. During the summer, it's less than that because obviously there's the heating expenses, right? In the winter, we need the heating, so we're using the gas, so it can be more than 120. But just to give you an idea, uh, you know, that's kind of the amount that we pay. Uh, for electricity, uh, currently we're paying about six. $60 a month. Okay. More in the summer because we use air conditioning, less in the winter because we're not using air conditioner. Okay. Uh, so once again, this is just to give you a rough idea. If you are, you know, we're in Kitchener right now, if you're in a different city, maybe you live in a different size house, you want to get a better idea. Well, you could always ask your friends who maybe live in comparable houses or ask your parents, see how much they are spending just to get a ballpark for your area, what, uh, what it costs in terms of water, gas, electricity. Okay. Uh, but those numbers I give you were my own and, and hopefully that at least gives you somewhat of a ballpark figure. Okay. I noticed that when I when you look up these things online, people don't often really give specific numbers. So you kind of have like I realize it varies, but it's nice to have at least somewhat of a ballpark figure, right? Like what is water and gas? Is it three hundred a month? Is it fifty dollars a month? It's nice to have at least somewhat of an idea, right? So hopefully hopefully that is helpful to you. Uh, the other thing you want to consider it, or take into account is the water heater rental. Okay. Now in some houses, they, that water heater might not be a rental in which case you just have to worry about, you know, repairs or replacing it when it gets too old. Uh, for other uh, places like in our house, uh, our past two houses, I would say we had, uh, rentals. And so it can be anything from $10 a month for a water heater rental to over $30 a month. It, it depends on the water heater and, and it depends where you're getting it from and all of that. But this is just to give you an idea that this, this is an extra cost that you do have to take into account. 
And like I said before, with all these numbers, you know, definitely feel free to ask your friends, ask your family, anyone that lives in the area that you are thinking of moving into. And that should give you a pretty good idea. Just make sure that, you know, you're not comparing a, a mansion to a really, really small house, right? If, if you're using, the, if your parents live in some mansion and then they have the, the pricing there, well, yours are probably going to be lower. You can use their numbers if you want. And then at least you have a very conservative estimate with a really nice cushion. At the same time, when you're going to view a new house that you want to buy uh, from an agent, then of course you can ask them as well. And then the previous owners of that house will hopefully be able to tell you roughly how much they're spending uh, on the different utilities. Now, keep in mind though that this number is probably, you know, there's a chance that this number isn't all that accurate, right? The agent's job is to sell you the house, right? So they have that incentive to make this number as low as possible. Uh, so, you know, are they going to give you an actual average or are they going to give you the number that the low? number for that that they paid in that particular year, right? So they give you some, you know, how much the gas was, for example, in July when you don't use any heating, right? So keep in mind that there is a bit of a conflict of interest. Same with if he has the owner selling the house, right? They're not going to tell you, oh yeah, this house is really inefficient in terms of maintaining heat. Uh, so yeah, we actually pay a lot in electric in our in our uh, you know get in our get for our gas heating. They're obviously you know they're not going to tell you that kind of information, right? So just keep in mind that the numbers that you do get from the selling agent and the numbers you do get from the owners, uh, you know, they may not be that accurate. Uh, I'm not saying that everyone is, is lying and out to get you or anything like that, but just keep in mind that they have a really big financial incentive to make their house look as good as it can possibly look, right? And, and making it seem like it's very inexpensive to run. And at the same time, some people just don't keep track very well of things like that, right? They don't they don't keep their their finances in check. They don't know exactly how much they're paying, so they might just remember some bill they saw two months ago for for their electricity bill, and they just give you that price, right? So just keep that in mind for sure. Uh, also, if you are buying, a, I mean, we're talking about buying houses here, and I'm, I've been sort of talking about buying a freehold house, but if you're buying a condo, then of course there are condo fees associated with that as well. These are ongoing fees that you will have to pay, and so keep that in mind as well. Make sure you factor that into your ongoing house cost calculations. Okay, now no discussion about ongoing home costs would be complete without, of course, talking about home maintenance and and what it costs to actually maintain your home. Uh, you know, so for example, all the all the repairs, all the different upkeep that you have to incur on a year to year basis. Now, obviously, if you're renting, you generally don't have to worry about things like that. You don't have to worry about the the roof leaking and and then having to pay to replace it. You don't have to worry about updating the plumbing and and in, in your entire unit, right? This is something that the landlord will take care of. And of course, once you move in to become a home owner, all of a sudden, these are things that you now have to concern yourself with. And so I looked at several different sources to get a good idea as to what the ongoing repairs are. Uh, for example, real estate investors who I like to sort of use to get uh, a professional opinion on what certain things cost and what the best practices are. Well, well a lot of real estate investors, they'll actually use a percentage of their uh, rent that they're collecting uh, to, to help budget them for basically maintenance costs. Now, for us, that's not very uh, helpful necessarily because we're not 
this is for a primary home. We're not renting it out, and so we're not going to base it off of rents. Let's say you know, I, I guess technically you could try, try to do the math that way. But I think there there is a better way for us homeowners. Uh, I looked at the CMHC website, which is another reputable source, but they didn't really go into too much detail on this. And basically, what they said is that you should use five percent of your take home pay and basically allocate that towards your annual maintenance costs. Now, personally, I, I didn't really like this too much because it didn't really go into much detail. It, also, it doesn't really take into account how large your house is and how old your house is. Obviously, you're much older. If you move into a 100-year-old house, chances are you're going to require a lot more maintenance than if you move into a house that you know is just a few years old, let's say. So, you know, I, I think the age of the house, the size of the house, you know, these are things that are pretty important to consider. And, you know, obviously how much you make, that doesn't necessarily impact how much maintenance your house is going to need. So, uh, so that's not something that I, that I personally would use myself. Now, Another piece of advice that other people say is, is to, to do three to 5% of the value of your home every year. So uh, whatever the house price is of your house, take three to 5% of that and basically allocate that in your budget to spend on house maintenance. And when I crunched the numbers on this, it actually came out being fairly high. Uh, for example, for a house that's $310,000 at 3%, that's over $9,000 every year in house maintenance. For uh, If we use 5%, then and that's fifteen over fifteen thousand dollars that you would be spending on maintenance. And I mean, being a homeowner myself for for a while, I don't. I to me, basically, those numbers seem quite high. I've, I've never had to really pay uh, that much. Now, mind you, you know, I'm I've, I'm not moving into a house that's a hundred years old. You know, if, if that was the case, that may be different. But you know, personally, myself, uh, this has, it, that, those numbers do seem pretty high. So I, I basically continued my search. And I found actually a really, really good article by Romana King over at Money Sense Magazine. And she really, uh, really did a great job on this. She actually went in and, and, and looked at all the different components, both the sort of the ongoing small maintenance tasks that you can really do yourself, such as, for example, replacing the filter on your furnace or, you know, recalking something because it's, it's you know, wearing down. You know, so all these sort of little things that you, you should budget for that you can pretty much do yourself every year, but also taking into account some of those larger expenses like replacing your furnace or, I don't know, maybe updating your plumbing or electrical if you live in a really old house, you know, things of that nature. And so what I'll actually do is I will um, I'll include a link in the show notes for this episode for that article. It's, it's basically the ultimate sort of maintenance guide. Uh, and, and I really, really enjoyed reading it and it really went into a lot of detail. So if, if you want the article, just go to buildwithcanada.ca slash five, just the number five. And that's all the show notes for this episode. And I'll be sure to include that link there. It, it's great. I definitely recommend checking it out. But just to give you sort of the the summary of the article, essentially what Romana says is, you know, when she actually broke down all the numbers and all the different things you should be doing every year, she said for sort of those minor expenses, those things you can really just do yourself, it's going to be basically on average between 900 and a thousand dollars a year if you're if you're willing to do yourself so that's that's things like replacing the air the, the the filter on the furnace for example cleaning up certain parts of your house so that they don't end up damaging your house 
So that's for example, like I said, something like replacing your furnace filter, recalking certain areas of the house, uh, maybe where there's some sort of wear and tear. Cleaning up areas around your house, like dead leaves, for example, to make sure that water is always being pushed away from your house so that it's not seeping into the, the area around your foundation at the base of your home, you know, which can cause a basement flood, for example. So, you know, things like that that you can basically do yourself. So between $900 and $1,000 per year is what she basically calculated and would recommend budgeting that. And, and I think that that's a good idea. I think it's a good idea to to, to have that on the side, uh, ready to go. And, and I, you know, I, I think I think it's just generally a really good idea uh, to budget for that. Now, on top of that, there are the more expensive components as well. So like I said before, for instance, replacing your air conditioning, replacing your furnace, maybe there's some issue with your electrical that needs to be replaced, right? Some foundation issues that need to be uh, that need to, <laughs> to be resolved, right? Some of these really expensive things that as a house gets older and older and older, these are things that you're going to have to start paying money for. Uh, replacing the roof, for example, is, is another very big, uh, expensive example that you should take into account. And so when she crunched the numbers, basically she got between, that you should save uh, between 3500 and 7500 a year for these bigger expenses. So this is on top of the $900 to $1,000 you're saving for the, for the minor expenses, that you should save about thirty-five to 7500 per year, depending on the size and age of your home. Now, of course, keep in mind that that, that is an average. And to get a better number for that, for your particular situation, what I would recommend is when you do purchase a home, you should be getting it inspected by a home inspector. And if you do your research and then you find a really good home inspector, they should be able to tell you how long the different components are. The homeowners should be able to tell you some of that information as well. And then your home inspector should be able to say, okay, well, you know, this is the age of this furnace, for example. It's probably going to last you know, X more number of years. This is typically what a furnace is going to cost to you once it is time to replace it. And so now once you have that number, you can start, you can put that in your budget and you can start saving for that accordingly, right? If it's, uh, you know, if, if your furnace is good for another 10 years, okay, well, you know, maybe you don't want to start saving for it right now, but maybe your roof is going to need replacement in the next uh, three years, right? So maybe you do want to start putting away a little bit of money here and there just so that you have that money set aside, ready to go once that expense occurs. All right, so if you use her numbers and then basically the averages, it ends up being $4,500 to $10,000 per year that you should put away in house maintenance costs. But like I said, you know, definitely put in that $900,000 on the side for those smaller repairs that you can do yourself, okay? And if for those other bigger expenses, you know, this is something where, you're, you know, you have that professional that you hired anyway, that home inspector, use their knowledge, use their expertise to find out how much longer roughly those different more expensive components are going to cost and then budget accordingly for that. Now, of course, you, you can always outsource the smaller things as well. You can hire people to do these, these smaller things as well. So if, if you do it that way, basically Romana said that it can cost you upwards of $3,000 per year for those minor things if basically you're just hiring professionals to do all these things for you. But I mean, just from my own personal experience from being a homeowner uh, for quite a while now, I can definitely tell you that me even not being a handy guy, I, well, since I've become a landlord, I've become more of a handy guy. But before that, I mean, I wasn't handy at all, not, not in the slightest sense. And I would still be able to perform these these minor tasks. It's, it's not it's not something that you need to hire a professional for. For example, you know, to clean the leaves, 
For example, it's not like you have to hire a professional to recall a part of your bathroom or, or an area of, of your kitchen, for example, right? I mean, it's it's really not something that you have to hire someone for. It might not look as good as, or, or you may not be done as fast as if you have a professional do it, but I mean, you know, you're saving a lot of money. And plus, you know, you're learning a new skill and it's nice to be able to sort of have the knowledge to do these little things yourself as well. And last but not least, we have the internet, phone, TV, basically all the nice sort of electronic techie things that we like to have in our homes. Uh, now, me personally, uh, what what we've done for a very long time is we just use our cell phones so we don't use an actual landline. And at the same time, we don't have any sort of TV subscription. So we just use the internet. You are able to stream shows. You can use the, you know, services like Netflix. So there's just, that's one way that we were able to lower that amount quite a bit is just by never having a landline line and basically never paying for cable just a cell phone which you should have anyway at least for emergencies uh, but we use that as our landline and you can also use the internet to talk on the phone as well uh, which is pretty much free with a lot of the different services out there so that's just something to um, to keep in mind as well but you definitely want to factor in your internet costs your phone your tv uh, you know if, if you choose to do have all those other services All right, so that is it for the guide. And like I said before, there are two really good resources that I have for you today. The first, of course, being the maintenance guide, basically the article I was mentioning earlier in the podcast that basically takes you through all the different components you have to consider when it comes to home maintenance and what they cost and roughly how long things last as well before you have to replace them. Really, it's just a really good resource to have just so that you're not surprised by a certain unexpected expense that all of a sudden, puts you in debt or or puts you in a financial strain. Uh, And so for that, I'll have the the link to the article at buildwealthcanada.ca slash five, the number five, which is where the show notes are. And of course, I also have for you the top five personal finance and productivity tools guide. It's completely free on the Build With Canada website. And really, this guide I just finished and it contains all the different tools that I use that cover a whole range of personal finance areas. So for example, the tool I use to help me automatically create budgets and download all my transactions so I don't have to sit there you know, entering receipts and drawing up a budget by hand. And uh, some of the books I've read as well that have helped me get started in investing that I think would be very helpful to you. And also some of the financial calculators that are available out there, some of the best ones I found that you can really use to plan your retirement, plan your investments, uh, plan your home purchase, just just to really some really fantastic tools in there. And of course, several productivity type tools as well, just so that it helps you stay on top of the game, stay on top of your personal finances, make sure that you are managing and controlling your money properly. And that, you know, expensive things aren't slipping through the cracks, basically. So great tools. They're all free as well. You can try them out. Check it out at buildwealthcanada.ca. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you find a lot of value from those resources and from this episode, and I will see you in the next episode. All right, take care. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Build Wealth Canada podcast at www.buildwealthcanada.ca. 